right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll have Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, joining us. In about 35 minutes from right now, talking to KU football with BMAC, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Today will also be our KU offensive line preview. We've gotten through all of the offensive positions except for the offensive line. We'll have the defensive ones next week, so we'll get into the offensive line coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Big 12 possibly wanting to expand. Deja vu. Feels like we were just in this about five years ago. In fact, we were in 2016 when there was a vote placed if the Big 12 was going to expand. Well, now it's getting brought back up. Texas and Oklahoma obviously have left the alliance between the Big 10, ACC, and Pac-12. And then the Pac-12 announces yesterday that they're not going to expand at this time, which is important for the Big 12 for a couple of reasons. Most importantly, that it means you're not going to have to worry about more chaos with other teams leaving to another conference. Now, on one hand, everything that happened with the Alliance makes you think, hey, a lot of this just feels like it's, you know, just speech for speech's sake, kind of throwaway stuff. Are they really going to hold firm to everything they've said? So, who knows? Maybe some of these schools are still going to be eligible to eventually go to the Pac-12, but it just might be a couple of years. I, I don't know. But either way, the next move right now is in the Big 12's court. It is up to the Big 12 to make their next decision because right now, again, this might change when media rights are up in the different conferences in 2023 or 2024, 2025, or or whenever it is for the different leagues. As of right now, until that happens, ball's in the court for the Big 12. And it really comes down to two things. One, do you want long-term stability? Or two, are you, and when I say you, just conference members in general in the Big 12, trying to get out of the league, assuming that's on the table, meaning an invite from another conference like the Big 10, ACC, or Pac-12? And these two things are both at play over the course of this process, which makes it even more difficult to come up with the proper solution especially considering that some schools might have a different agenda than others. Some schools might be wanting to leave and figuring, hey, this is a sinking ship, let's get out of here. Especially if you can get on to a conference that's making even more money. Other schools might be saying, no, you know what, even though we're going to make less money than we had with Texas and Oklahoma, it's still going to be more money for us to stick this out and expand than if we have to go to the Mountain West or go to the American Athletic Conference. As part of the camp of do you want the long-term sustainability, the biggest piece of this is 
you're adding schools because by adding more schools, by adding more products, by adding more markets, you're becoming a more sustainable league in the standpoint of, well, now if somebody leaves, we have more pieces already there. And now we are just stronger because we have built a stronger foundation around the league. But also it's going to create a smaller slice of the pie for the different schools in the Big 12 if you are adding more schools. And that kind of goes counterintuitive to each other that the long-term sustainability of the league is better with more teams, but how much money you're making is less with more teams, at least in the near term, because in the near term, you're making all this money with Texas and Oklahoma in the league. Now, all of a sudden, once Texas and Oklahoma leave, that money drops a good amount. Would adding schools at that point raise the amount of money from what you would be making then? It might. So it might be a long-term gain, but a short-term drop. And if you're trying to get out of the league in the next four years, you don't care about the long-term gain because you won't be in it for that long. You just want that short-term gain of the money in the conference with Texas and Oklahoma or in the league. The Big 12 took a pro-rata clause, I believe it's pronounced rata, uh, with a buyout with ESPN, where ESPN bought out this clause that said if the Big 12 adds more teams... ESPN has to pay per school. So right now, if the different Big 12 schools are getting $28, $30 million from their ESPN, their TV rights, they would have to pay an extra $30 million to cover, let's say, if they added Cincinnati or if they added BYU or Boise State or any school. They would be covering that. It wouldn't be coming out of the other Big 12 schools' pockets. But ESPN bought out that clause from the Big 12, which now in hindsight looks very very poor on Bob Bowlesby and the Big 12 in general. And they voted against adding more schools, and part of it was ESPN saying, hey, when we have to renegotiate, like, we're not giving you more money. So they just said, well, forget it then, even though I don't know if this clause would have meant that it wouldn't have mattered at that point. But right now, that could come back to haunt you because now you don't get that benefit of, hey, if we do add teams they're getting extra money from ESPN. It's just the same amount of money, just the more teams to split it. And how viable is this plan of if you do want to go into the long-term sustainability aspect when now you weren't even included as a conference in the alliance, right? Like the Big 12 and Pac-12 and or Big 10, Pac-12 and, and ACC basically said, yeah, the Big 12 is good for college sports. We need them to stay together. It's important, but we're not going to do anything about it. Sorry. Have fun. Good luck. You weren't invited with them. You obviously weren't invited with the SEC. They just plucked your best teams, your most valuable teams, your best football schools in terms of just program and what you're bringing to the table market-wise and from a TV revenue perspective. You're not respected by those other leagues right now, so how much power are you going to have moving forward? And then the other aspect, like I mentioned, is are you trying to get out into another league, if that is on the table? Some schools obviously might want to expand the league to accept less money per school at that point, but help the league stay together because it is better than the alternative. But who knows? Maybe if you're West Virginia, maybe you think you can make the ACC. Maybe if you're Kansas or Iowa State, you think you can make the Big Ten. Who knows if that's all true, if that can happen, but... If you feel like you have more options available, sticking it out in the Big 12 and having 
the short-term loss for long-term gain isn't a viable option for you because, again, you don't care about the long-term gain, and that's not really an attractive option. And, and depending on how many teams are in this camp could severely prevent the schools who want the long-term sustainability, who want the league to expand, from achieving their goals, depending on when it would occur. I think probably everybody would get on board with the idea of, hey, we'll expand and add teams once the media rights are up, right? Like, we're going to plan to add these four different schools come 2025. But if you're starting to talk about, hey, we're going to add these schools in 2023, you're going to get a very big split of some schools saying no, some schools saying yes. Now, here's another key piece from Max Olson of The Athletic. Sources say the Big 12 would also need a supermajority vote of eight of ten members in order to make these decisions. Texas and Oklahoma retain their voting privileges until they give notice they're withdrawing from the conference. That is very problematic. That means you have to go eight out of eight. And like I was alluding to, you have a pretty big split among teams of what some schools want versus what others don't. Which makes me just think this is going to take time. Right? Again, if you say we'll add teams, but it's not going to be till 2025 when the media rights deal is up, then if you are a school that's interested in, in possibly leaving at that point for the Big Ten or the ACC or the Pac-12, you're like, sure, because at that point, my backup plan is staying in the Big 12, and now I know there's more long-term sustainability, but also I don't have to worry about taking a smaller slice of the pie in the short term because they're not going to join until 2025. And if I get out, I get out great. That seems like the logical solution there, which, again, means this is going to be a long time before we get a solution. But as far as Texas and Oklahoma, having them still in the league and the fact that maybe they do seem fine waiting until 2025 if the league doesn't implode, which at this point seems less likely to do so until the media right deal is up, means that you got to go eight for eight and you have to have a proposal that everybody is 100% on board with. And that makes this even more difficult for whatever direction the Big 12 decides to go for there to be a unanimous choice and there not to be everybody still occupying with their own agenda, their own plans. And at the end of the day, all these schools do have to operate from what is best for me. At the end of the day, you can preach everybody wanting to come together and sing kumbaya and come together and, and make this thing work long term, but I wouldn't blame, you know, if Kansas State got offered by the Pac-12 and left, if Iowa State got offered by the Big Ten and left, if West Virginia got offered by the ACC and left, I wouldn't blame any of those schools. You'd be doing what's right for the university at that point. But if expansion is the end game here for the Big 12, got to start unearthing some of previous stuff from 2016 and when the Big 12 was last circling around this thing and talking about what schools to possibly add. According to The Athletic, it seems like the top target is BYU. Max Olson, Andy Staples wrote about this, this kind of breaking news or possible conclusion coming from the conference that they formed an expansion subgroup and this is an interesting part, too. This expansion group includes Texas Tech AD, Kirby Hocutt, Baylor AD, Mac Rhodes, and then Iowa State President Wendy Winterstein and Kansas Chancellor Douglas Gerard. Now, Kansas, obviously, 
we feel like the Jayhawks have been doing their due diligence and trying to get out there and talk with the Big Ten or talk with the ACC and see where they stand. Does them being a part of the expansion subgroup mean they didn't like the answers? Does it mean they were never really that serious in it? Or does it mean really nothing and they're just on the board because they have a position of power here and they want to be heard and the conference wants them to be heard to hope that they don't leave? Or maybe, like I said, there are you those multiple groups in the Big 12 where you have one group of wanting to expand, one group saying we don't want to expand, so you want to have opinions from both sides on the board. Who knows what that means? of KU being on the board there. But BYU, if they are going to expand, again, if we are going to go down that road, seems like a very logical conclusion. And this is what Max Olson and Andy Staples talked about in that athletic piece. They've gotten really good TV viewership between 2015 and 2019. The median audience of Big 12 games, not including Texas or Oklahoma. Over 36 broadcasts on ABC, Fox, or ESPN was about 1.79 million people. And BYU's numbers were pretty comparable. They had 16 games on those channels in that same time span. was 1.64 million. So they're right around there. And for 104 games broadcast on ESPN2, ESPNU, Fox Sports, or Fox Sports 2, the other Big 12 schools drew a median audience of about 500,000, whereas BYU drew a median audience on 20 other broadcasts of almost 700,000. So BYU would be a pretty good draw here. And actually, at that point, especially when you add on, okay, it's a new TV market, it gets you into a new space, it gets you into a new time zone, they might actually be an instance of a school that, you know, it's it's not going to be the difference of Texas and Oklahoma where it's doubling your media rights or what you're getting from ESPN, but might be a few extra million per school. And that makes it attractive enough to definitely extend the invite to them. Plus, you add on the fact that BYU is good at football. If you just look at wins over the last decade, they're, they would be third among teams in the current Big 12 plus BYU. Oklahoma first, TCU second, BYU third. And you could say, oh, well, BYU is not in a power conference. Yeah, but look at their schedule every year. They're actually playing really good teams. Last year was the exception because they had to nix a bunch of their power five games. But they're typically playing like six to eight power five teams every year. Like they play a really good schedule. So this isn't just cakewalking their way to these big wins. I would imagine if you are going to expand, though, beyond BYU, you're probably looking at, what, Memphis, UCF, Cincinnati, Boise State. Maybe even you give looks to SMU or Houston. I don't know if TCU would be all too thrilled with sharing that market with SMU. Houston's been a school that you think would make sense, but apparently the leadership there, they don't love that, the Big 12, and that was a, a big hiccup last time they talked, although I think today there was a report from, I think it was John Wilner talking about Houston would be the top candidate if the Pac-12 wanted to expand. It's like, okay, I, uh, yeah, that, that's probably a leak from somebody at Houston to say, no, look, we're attractive. See, the Pac-12 wants us. You should take us to Big 12. Who knows? But I think they actually would be probably an okay ad. I just thought that was kind of funny. But it does sound like whoever the Big 12 would add would be focused on football, which is probably the right thing to do because that is the biggest thing you're losing from Texas and Oklahoma, and you want to be in the football limelight, if you can get a couple of those schools that have been there recently with Central Florida, Cincinnati, Boise State, BYU, that's going to definitely help you. Won't get you to where you are now in terms of revenue, but it'll be more than you would with just the eight teams, at least once they renegotiate past 2025. Again, in the near term, you're not going to be able to renegotiate, so everybody's just getting a smaller amount. 
But there are a couple hurdles here as well, even if you're adding teams from, for say, the AAC. With BYU, here's what else makes BYU so attractive. They are an independent right now, which means you don't have to pay a buyout with another conference. Now, maybe they'd have to pay certain buyouts from a scheduling perspective because they'd have to cancel a bunch of games or maybe they could just push them down the road. I don't know how that would work. But, for instance, if you're bringing on some AAC teams like Memphis, UCF, Cincinnati, there could be some big buyout fees. Like UConn chose to leave for the Big East in 2019 in basketball and the other sports, and then football, they became independent. And the AAC required a 27-month notice from them and a $10 million fee. Now, UConn negotiated down. They got it down to $17 million with 12 months. But that's still a pretty sizable sum, especially considering these are schools making about $7 million from their media rights of being in the AAC. This isn't the Big 12 where you're making $37 million. And then you have the other hurdle of what happens if you're an AAC team and you join the Big 12, and then all of a sudden some other Big 12 teams decide for leave, leave the league for other conferences. Is that worth the risk for the AAC teams? I think it probably is because you'd be making more money. You'd be in an accredited Power 5 university. It would be a big deal, but it's definitely a risk that, who knows, maybe it's enough to prevent at least a couple teams from wanting to join. But supposedly, according to The Athletic, at least 15 schools have reached out to the conference. So what is the ultimate end game here? What happens at the end of the day? I would just say this. It sounds to me like the Big 12 is going to expand. But it's going to take like four or five years down the road. Maybe add just one or two teams right now because then if you're splitting the pie a little bit smaller, at least you're only adding one or two teams. But I could see that being contingent on Texas and Oklahoma leaving so that you're making whatever amount of money. And at that point, who knows, maybe you're asking schools too to say, hey, we'll let you join, but you have to take less money than our other schools. But I think what the most likely situation is, is if they do expand, they're just going to say, hey, we're going to wait to add teams till the media right deal is up. That way nobody takes a cut in the short term when we have all this Big 12 money with Texas and Oklahoma as part of the conference where we're making $37 million. Now everybody's still making their money off that. They're happy. And then once the media rights are up, we're adding more teams. That way we have long-term sustainability as well. That way we're making more money when we renegotiate than we would have been without Texas and Oklahoma. Still won't be as much as we're making now, but more than, than that starting point. And... That's kind of what happens, and maybe a few schools still decide to leave at that point, but again, might not be for quite some time, and that is kind of the common denominator here. This is going to take a lot of time. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Jock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. It's a Friday, week away from the first KU football game here, right here on KLWN. We'll have a live show out at Mama's Tamale Shop beforehand so you can get some good food they got a bunch of margaritas you can swing by and it's right by memorial stadium to head in brandon mcanderson former ku orange bowl winning running back member of the jayhawk radio network joins us now on the show as he does on fridays bmac you feeling the butterflies you feeling any type of excitement seven days away definitely i cannot wait to see these guys get after it and root for the jayhawks again 
Yeah, I, I, I uh, every football season is always great. It's a renewed sense of hope, and and it's just everything: high school football, college, NFL. It's just it's it's the greatest time of year. I, I've been doing today uh, offensive line preview. I've just been going through the different positions each day here over the last couple of days, and today is the offensive line. Is there one guy that maybe sticks out to you on this offensive line that you're really interested to see come next Friday? Yeah, I think it's our two youngsters. I think it's uh, Cable Do and Adams Reed. Uh, those two are just guys that got thrown in earlier than you would expect, but responded really well. And then this offseason made a ton of physical improvements. I think they're going to be mainstays uh, for this program moving forward. When we hear about those physical improvements that you mentioned by players, especially ever since Gildersleeve came over, is the offensive line maybe the most important position for the strength development to come just internally program-wise? Absolutely, because I think you're going to be counting on younger players at times. Now, not as much this year because with the super seniors, you're going to have some veteran depth. But you consider they could lose maybe six guys going into next season. Um, so it's important that they continue this weight training development, and it's a position that you have to have the strength to compete at, the, at this level. And I think that's why it's so important that Gildersleeve's made so much progress early on in the, in the development of the program. And I think you'll see that right away, and I think we'll see it long-term as well. A couple transfers got added to the unit with Colin Grunhard and Mike Nowitzki. Mike Nowitzki's a guy who had really strong merits in his time at Buffalo was seen as one of the best centers in the country. How much can just adding one or two guys to that unit really impact things? I think it impacts it a lot because it, what, what you have when you have a guy like Nowitzki, who's an accomplished player, you, you don't have to look at the pro football focus grades. You can just watch the tape. The guy can move. The guy gets up on the second level. He can really run and he's smart. So he's going to be an immediate impact guy just because of his athleticism. Then you take a guy like Grunhard, who's just at a program that wins every year. There's a benefit to that. You know, he's not just some guy that walked on and didn't have a chance to play. He earned a scholarship. He was in the mix, but he wanted a real shot at playing time, so he moved on. So he's a real person, a guy that can really contribute. And I'm excited to see him uh, compete at that guard position as well as center and and some. Well, how important is having that experience and the playing experience and the smarts and wherewithal for the center spot specifically? It's, a, it's a especially important when you're putting in a new system. So it's a system that he's more familiar with than all the other players. And if you were going to have one player you know, who had a superior understanding of the offense, you would want it to be center. So really it's an ideal, uh, an ideal transfer for instituting a new offense, having the center be the guy with the most experience in the system. I don't know how much this matters because at the end of the day, like the best offenses and the best offensive linemen, they're, they're still just really good. And even if it is a passing offense, they tend to do well. But I would just imagine from an offensive lineman perspective, it would just be a lot more fun playing in an offense like this zone running offense where you are getting to get out in open space and hit people and the running game is a big part of it and just kind of that mentality of, hey, we get to go forward and hit you more as opposed to the passing game or maybe the air raid where more often you're kind of sitting back and waiting for the defensive linemen to come at you. No question. I think it's going to be a, a welcome you know, change of pace for these guys to put their hands in the dirt and be physical and go downhill. They kind of got the starts of that under the previous regime, but I think they are 
under a coaching staff now that can help them master those techniques. And I think from a mentality standpoint, you always enjoy playing more physical. Uh, you know, every play somebody's going to be the hammer, somebody's going to be the nail. <laughs> In this type of offense, you got a better chance of being a hammer. Talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, one thing that was interesting, I was I was taking a look at the Pro Football Focus grades yesterday, and I, this was with the receiver preview, and I was looking at the run blocking for KU. And, I mean, this is, on one hand, probably a good thing for the receivers and maybe more of an indictment on the offensive line a season ago, but three of the top four run blockers by grade on Pro Football Focus last year were wide receivers. Not offensive linemen, they were wide receivers. Um, so I, I guess how much in the wide zone, if we're to spin that and look at the positive aspect of that with the receivers, how much do the receivers and the tight ends really play into the blocking scheme of this wide zone? Uh, especially important, especially on the edge, because those are going to be movement in space type of blocking, and you need athletes that are used to being in space and having success. So a guy like Kwame Lasker has mastered space. You know, he can get open in small spaces. He can get open going deep. Those kind of, that same skill set helps him find the right person, helps him stay in front of him, helps him stay engaged. So as that's an exciting thing because you know those guys are going to give effort and you know they're going to be coached well, you know, that's just an element of playing for Emmett Jones. Um, not good that they were the highest graded because that's more of an indictment on the offensive line than anything else. But I do think that that skill set transfers really well. And something I like that Buffalo did is in their outside zone, they did a lot of two-back where the tailbacks were blocking for each other. They were very adept at it, and I think it shows a buy-in. And that, that's how you keep your best players in the field because that wide receiver group is going to be pretty inexperienced. And we know that running back room is going to be really, really strong. So hopefully they can block for each other as well and have two backs out there at times. Yeah, I I definitely wonder what it's going to look like formation-wise. Like you said, with if you're using two backs or if you're using two tight ends, then all of a sudden you're not playing three receivers at the same time. And I guess that's just kind of where they have to go to. I, I feel like the receiver unit specifically – is going to be a collection of guys who fit specific roles, whereas maybe a guy like L.J. Arnold is out there more in a red zone with his big body, and he's also a guy you use on those running plays because he did grade well as a run blocker. Same with Kwame Lasseter, whereas a guy like Luke Grimm, maybe he's more so in passing situations because he wasn't graded as a great blocker. I, I just feel like they're going to have to come up with creative ways because there maybe are a little more questions with the receiver unit, not that there's not potential there, but I mean they have 16 receivers listed on the roster, and I think 13 of them are underclassmen, and then of the three upperclassmen, one of them is Jamal Horn, who's mostly been a special teams guy. One of them is Kevin Terry, who transferred in from Texas Tech. So it's a very green receiver room, and I feel like they're going to have to make adjustments in certain ways, whether that does mean playing more running backs or playing more tight ends or just coming up with situational differences. Absolutely, and I think that receiver group is just, when I say unknown, I don't see that as a negative, just that they haven't had a chance to play as much. Um, the guys that I'll be looking forward to be multiple guys, uh, every down guys are Wilson and Lasseter. I think they've both been impressive throughout camp, and I think they've got the experience and skill set to be special. Um, everybody else will be more like you said, fit in here, fit in there, this package, this route concept. But I think it's a group that has a lot of potential. 
Talking with BMAC here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I, I was having a conversation yesterday with our guest, Scott Chasen of 24-7 Sports, and, and he does these pieces where he goes back and, and looks at the year prior and says if you could add one player from the year prior on offense, one player from the year prior on defense to this team, what would it look like? And and Or who would you go with? And we got into the conversation, and, and I brought up, you know, if you could add one player from the Orange Bowl team, Onto this year, who would you add? And 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 we gave the caveat. We said you can't add Todd Racing. That's just you know too easy of an answer. Um, kind of the finalists we came about. We mentioned Anthony Collins. You know, wouldn't hurt to have a really good offensive tackle. Um, we mentioned to keep Talib because maybe he can give you a little bit on both sides of the ball, and obviously just an amazing talent in general. And uh, we also mentioned the receivers with Desmond Briscoe and Kerry Meyer. Is there somebody that you would look at from that Orange Bowl team and say they would be a perfect fit in adding to this year's team? James McClinton. Mm. <laughs> he. He unlocked our success on defense. I mean, he was the reason that we were able to move toward being more competent on defense and more competitive. Obviously, it helps having a guy like Key who can shut down half the field, you know, who can take a bubble screen on offense to the house. So, I mean, his talent, I put him in the same category as Todd Reese. I mean, he'd make any team better anytime. Um, so, if I was moving on to someone that was not the obvious one, I would, it would be James McClinton. He was the best player on our in our program, you know, until it keeps emergence. And I don't think, you know, you can go back and watch that K State game from 07. It looks like James uh, McClinton's highlight tape. I mean, he made he made so many tackles in that in that game. It was absurd. So I think he he impacts any team he's a part of. Yeah, that, that was probably a miss by us. But also, I I don't know. I feel like the defensive line like has some pretty good potential this year. When I look at some guys who can really rotate in between Kyron Johnson, who could be set up for a really good year with his hand in the ground now. Malcolm Lee, I think, could be a really good player for them on the defensive line. I feel like they got some guys. Steven Parker, former four-star recruit, that um, maybe, yeah, James McClinton would still be the best of that unit, but I would just be curious about you know adding somebody to another unit if maybe you feel like there could be a little more to gain there, like a Desmond Briscoe, for instance, at receiver, to help with some of those questions at that unit. Derek Johnson, I appreciate you. You're a smart guy. <laughs> but let me tell you something. There's no one on this team that is even comparable to James McClinton. I mean, not even 10%. And I'm, that's not an insult to the players that are currently on the roster. If you would have went to a practice in 2007 and watched our Orange Bowl team, there were whole days we could not practice because of James McClinton. <laughs> like every play, he would make the tackle. He's the only player I've ever been in in a in any football situation with where the coach would preface the coaching point by saying, "I know it's J Mac, but like, that's <laughs> like, that's how good he was." Just period. The guy would dominate whole practices to where the offense couldn't even function. So I don't. I'm not cast and disparsions of anybody on the team currently. There's no one like James McClinton. And to be honest with you, Tommy Dunn Jr. is one of my favorites, uh, favorite incoming freshmen. I think he'll have an impact. You know, they moved Caleb Sampson inside, so the depth is going to be major there. Uh, Caleb Taylor is a guy I'm really excited about who's put on a ton of weight and is a really good athlete. He's playing inside. Sam Burt. So that's a group that I do like, but I, I cannot stress enough how good James McClinton was. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll default to you on that one. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here. Are you ready for some game picks? Now, I was thinking this week we have 
college football. It's week zero. This will be our version of the preseason, so this won't count to the record, but this will uh, kind of shake the dust off a little bit, get the cobwebs out of there. Are you game for this? Of course I am. All right, let's do this. Nebraska, minus seven at Illinois. They will not cover. I'm going with the fighting Kevin Kane. Mm, love it. First year of uh, Brett Bielema taking over at Illinois, too. UConn at Fresno State. The Bulldogs are favored by 27 and a half. UConn did not play football yes, last year at all. Um, and the time that they played before that, they were awful. So I'm going to say <laughs> I'm going to go with the other guys. Uh, Hawaii is traveling to L.A., and they're taking on the UCLA Bruins. UCLA, with Chip Kelly, is favored by 17 and a half. Yeah, part of me is hoping that UCLA is back in some capacity. I was kind of a Chip Kelly fan when he was in Oregon, so hopefully he can get that going. So I'll go with UCLA. Yeah, they got uh, next week, they got LSU. And who knows, maybe with the extra game under their belt that LSU won't have, maybe they can uh, have a breakout this year under Chip. UTEP is minus 10 at New Mexico State. This is apparently a very big rivalry. Yeah, I heard uh, New Mexico State is like perennially one of the worst teams in the country. Uh, So I'm going UTEP by whatever the line is. (laughs) All right, UTEP minus 10 there. And then last one from the college game, Southern Utah taking on San Jose State minus 24. I know you uh, are a Southern Utah expert. Yeah, you know what I know about this game. (laughs) I love San Jose State's color of blue. Mm. Which is uh, it's it's bright, but not like too bright, not light, um, but very sharp and pops on their uniform. So I'm going to go with San Jose State. I right, love it. All right, on to the NFL. Two preseason games: Minnesota at Kansas City. That game's tonight. The Chiefs are favored by four and a half. Chiefs? Uh, I don't know. I don't mess with preseason. All right. Well, then you're going with Las Vegas against San Francisco. I'm assuming getting the three and a half. No. I cannot stand wow. Nate Peterman. I can't, I have to watch the Nate Peterman play every preseason game, every snap. So what I've been doing is recording the game and fast-forwarding through offense. <laughs> I don't know what this Nate Peterman thing is, but I am not in on it. I'm going with the 49ers. All right, going against your own. All right, that is Brandon McAnderson joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, a week away from the first game. And by the way, if you're still looking for tickets, BMAC, you got a uh, good little deal going on, a good little promo code. What's going on over there? Absolutely. Fans wanting a special discount the next Friday's game. Simply go to KUAthletics.com forward slash tickets. Then click tickets in the upper left-hand corner, and a promo code tab will pop up. Enter home opener, home opener, no spaces, and a special discount will automatically be applied. Let's fill that stadium, man. It's Friday at the booth. It can't can't get any better, man. It's going to be an opportunity to celebrate Kansas football, to celebrate life in Lawrence, and, and to watch the Jayhawks win a football game. Love it. You'll be able to hear BMAC on the call. BMAC, hope to talk to you next Friday. We'll see if it uh, works into your schedule with game day and everything. But either way, if we don't, looking forward to the game. And uh, thanks again. Yes, sir. Have a good one. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back and member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Use that promo code. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. 
There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash, they are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Four o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us at the top of the five o'clock hour here on RCST. Don't forget you can come on out and see us next Friday at Mama's Tamale Shop for a live show as we get ready for the KU opener next season. Let's get on to our offensive line preview. It's obviously a unit that needs to see a lot of improvement from a season ago for KU. You look at the the blocking grades on Pro Football Focus from game to game for this team, a lot of stuff that uh, was not good, to say the very least especially from the pass blocking. They actually had some okay run blocking games. Like Coastal Carolina, 70 run block, which that's a solid number. I want to say 60 is about like average or above average. 70 is like a good number. 80 is like really good. 90 is like elite, something like that. Um, There were a lot of games around 50 to 60 for KU in the run blocking, so not great, but it was um, a lot more livable than the pass blocking where these are the different Grades, again, out of 100. 19, 19, 67 against Oklahoma State, 51 against West Virginia, 23, 28, 0 against Oklahoma, 22, and then 66 to finish against Texas Tech. You got to improve the pass blocking unit for this team. That has to get better. And it's not just from a standpoint of being able to move the ball, being an efficient offense. It's also about developing these players right like it's it's impossible to find the right guy at quarterback it's impossible to get a, the correct read on the guy at quarterback and even the receivers because they need time to get open and even the running backs for that matter unless the offensive line is proficient enough to allow you to run your offense doesn't mean they have to be the best offensive line but you have to be able to get out of your own way and prevent there from being a sack within the first second after the snap, seemingly every time. Now, Scott Fuchs did talk a little bit about this, how 
on one hand, sacks are not just a product of the offensive line. And you go look at those grades, the passing blocking grades were definitely not good. But what he's talking about here is that specifically sacks, you can find ways to maybe mitigate some of those numbers. And I think this is going to be kind of telling for how they might approach things offensively this season. I think sacks are a product of a lot of things. Uh, pass blocking being one of them, all right? But there's different things you can do on third down uh, or when you are passing the ball that, that can help uh, eliminate sacks, whether you're throwing a quick or running the ball or uh, you know, pre-releasing the back on empty. or I mean, there's a lot of different things that can be done. So I don't know, if you just call on your offensive line just to block everything and see everything, that's probably unrealistic. You know, I mean, you're eventually going to run into something. So uh, there's a lot of different things that are going to go into that. Uh, certainly the offensive line, the running backs, who's ever pass blocking, they're going to be a big part of it. Getting rid of the ball is a big part of it too, right? So that does tell me a little that maybe last year there were a few things that weren't properly diagnosed with maybe, hey, this is where like an extra tight end should be or a running back chipping here or there or they should get the ball out quick here because you know there's going to be an unblocked guy here and maybe it wasn't all the offensive line's fault but still again you go look at those grades they are very bad from a season ago and if you go on pro football focus and, and look at the aggregate of pass blocking grade in college football 126th in the country is South Alabama. There were 128 teams who played last year. There's 130 teams in F in FBS, but 128 played. Two didn't play. Of those 128 teams, Kansas was 127th. And the drop-off, even from 126 to 127th, South Alabama's aggregate grade was about a 31. KU's was an 18. The only team behind them was Akron at 14. I mean, 18. You're talking about the, the next closest Big 12 team in pass blocking grade was Kansas State, and they had a 52.6. There's a lot of room to be made up for there in the pass blocking game. But given everything that you just heard him say, makes you think they are going to do things to help this offensive line. And I think the offensive line will be better just to begin with as, as square one. You have some returning players. You have players who are really young and got playing time a season ago and seem to have really gained big either strength or muscle endeavors over the offseason under strength and conditioning coach Gildersleeve. When you look at that and the fact that you get more experience and you have certain guys coming back for an extra senior year and you have a couple transfers who might end up being starters this season, I, I think they will be, at least right off the bat. Mike Nowitzki, who might just be your best offensive lineman, so now you're getting a new best player there, and Colin Grunhard, who might end up starting at guard, the offensive line should just be improved on that base alone. Then you add a really good offensive line coach. You would hope for some improvement there. And then you add what he's talking about, you know, acknowledging the right play, getting into the right formation, getting into the right situation, having an extra tight end here to help chip somebody or having the running back know the right read of where to block somebody in the passing game or knowing for the quarterback, hey, this guy might be unblocked. They have six guys coming against our five guys who are blocking Obviously, somebody will be unblocked. I have to know where that guy's coming from. I have to get rid of the ball quickly out of my hands and find the opening quickly. There are a lot of ways that can help you mitigate that, but still, at the end of the day, it does come down to the offensive line playing better at the same point in time. Scott Fuchs, the offensive line coach, also talked about which guys are going to play and that it's just going to be the best five. 
Probably wouldn't know this. <laughs> I mean, pretty much every inside guy has to learn how to snap, has to be a center, um, whether they're playing center or guard. So whatever we do, we want to make sure that we've got the five best guys out there at the end of the day. So uh, having guys strictly play center not he or strictly play tackle. I'm not a real big fan of that. I think you should know what we're doing. We keep it simple enough. Um, but uh, I think he's done a really nice job there. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, and by the way, Buffalo in pass block grade a season ago was fourth in the country at 85.0. So that gives you an idea of how impactful Scott Fuchs can be on a program. So, But you're going to play the best five in that situation. And again, that could mean that Colin Grunard, who came in as a center, Mike Nowitzki, if he's the center, then maybe you play Colin Grunard at the guard position. As far as the traits that Scott Fuchs wants from an offensive lineman, here is his response to that. I believe this was a question from Matt Tate. Athleticism. Sure. And, uh, anyone wants coach athletes, sure. and that, that's a big deal. Honestly, I, I would say that too. Uh, composure yeah. on the field a bit, you know. That's simply understanding what's going on, what, what to do in that situation. You're not frantic. Uh, you're not panicky. Uh, that's that's going to get you in trouble. So that's the mental aspect of it, and obviously something that you like from an offensive lineman. The athleticism is going to be important when you think about the wide zone running game, getting out into the open field, finding a linebacker in the open field and hitting them. And I'm sure that's a lot of fun for offensive linemen, but you obviously have to have a level of athleticism to do that. Now, the wide zone run, Kind of building off of that has been the thing that's been talked about so much with how the offense operates, what it, its identity is. Buffalo was number one in the country last season in run block grade on pro football focus. They were even above Notre Dame, who had these, I mean, Notre Dame every year is producing these like first round offensive linemen. They have Kyron Williams, who probably going to be kind of like a dark horse Heisman candidate this year. Buffalo had a 90.2 run block grade first in the country you compare that to where Kansas was a season ago 121st of the 128 teams that played again they were better than pass blocking 48.7 but still on the very low end of things you're in the bottom 10 of the country and Baylor had a really bad run block grade but they were still slightly ahead of KU that's something else that you hope to fix. That's something else that you hope this system can help out with, that Scott Fuchs can help out with, that the offensive linemen adding new players or gaining more experience can kind of help you out with. But a big part of this as well is just that learning process of learning the wide zone. Here is Lance Leipold talking about that wide zone run game being a big staple in the offense and how Scott Fuchs can be a big help. Well, it gets, gets, you know, people, you know, we're getting the defense running. We got to get movement. You know, there's, you, you create lanes that way. So um, you build a lot of things off of that. So it's, you know, it, it's definitely going to be a staple. I mean, I don't think that's going to be a secret, but but we got to be able to do other things with it. But yeah, and, and you know, I think Andy and, and, and really our, our outside zone game really went to a different level when Scott Fuchs arrived as our offensive line coach. And, you know, uh, you watch Scott's background, whether it be at North Dakota State and uh, or at Wyoming, his ability to develop lines and, and you know, way back to the days of uh, we worked together in Omaha, I think he does an outstanding job. You know, he, he's an excellent teacher, um, and uh, I, I think our guys have really taken to him. So let's hear from the teacher himself, Scott Fuchs, talking about teaching that wide zone to the offensive line. 
Oh, I think the first challenge is if if they had run a wide zone in the past, that's where their mind immediately goes. You know, the, the last thing you learn is the first thing you forget. So uh, that's been a bit of a challenge. But, you know, we do enough, I would say, in our individual. I mean, we're going to do a lot of that. We're, I mean, there's only so many things that we're going to work on, but that's going to be a big part of it. Uh, so continuing to rep, continuing to rep that over and over, and that's how it's going to get done. And I don't know how quickly that can come about. You know, I've talked a lot about how if the Chiefs, it takes a little bit longer for a new offensive line to come together. It wouldn't surprise me. Now, it seems like so far through the preseason, they've done just okay from that angle of getting it all working right away. I would imagine this is going to be more of a program thing down the line. But at the very least, you had such a low bar from where you were a season ago that they should be better just from internal development alone. And then you add on a guy who's a really good offensive line coach. You add on a scheme that you would think maybe helps if, you know, the athleticism part of this makes you think that, okay, well, Kansas isn't getting maybe as big of an offensive tackle as the Oklahomas of the world. But what they can get is maybe an offensive lineman who was a former tight end who maybe is uh, athletic or maybe he's given up 10, 15 pounds, but he has a little bit of extra athleticism and speed to get him out in the open field, and, and maybe that'll work well in the wide zone run game. And I just go back to the fact, again, Buffalo was number one in the country in run block grade. They were number four in the country in pass block grade. He knows what he's doing. The offense will get this figured out. They'll get the offensive line figured out. It might take some time, but definitely you will see progress in year one. And this is probably, in my eyes, the most important position for there to be progress in year one because I think it's very difficult, almost impossible, to evaluate the starting quarterback, especially, let's say, next year, if Jason Bean or Jalen Daniels, you know, you could have that QB competition next year, but what happens if you have them play this year? You want to be able to diagnose which guy has the edge this season, and you can't do that unless the offensive line is blocking for him and giving him a proper chance. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017. At 1320 KLWN. Let's continue our offensive line preview coming up on the other side. We will further preview it by looking at all the individuals on the offensive line. This is RCST. <laughs> FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. So continuing on with our offensive line preview, 22 offensive linemen are on KU's roster. And of those 22, this kind of goes in line with the receivers, where you had 16 receivers on the roster, 13 are underclassmen, only one senior. You do have more seniors on this one. Of the 22, five are seniors. So, you know, if you figure you have about a quarter of each class, that works out to be about right. But a ton of freshmen on this roster. And that counts redshirt freshmen. But there is a lot of youth in the program here. So, um, 12 freshmen on the roster for KU football this season. And again, that includes redshirt freshmen as well. But that tells you two things. One, A, you had a lot of guys redshirt. Two, how much can you do right away in terms of influencing how good the offensive line can be if you're that young? And three, Scott Fuchs and the KU offensive staff have a pretty good ball of clay to mold moving forward because you should have some good potential there just between all the youth that you have at that position. 12 freshmen, two sophomores, three juniors, five seniors. 
on the roster for KU. Now, as far as who the starters might be for this team, if we start at the center position, Mike Nowitzki is a guy that comes in with a pretty high pedigree. I mean, he was listed as one of the five highest-rated centers on Pro Football Focus and comes in, was an elite run blocker, was a solid pass blocker, but not great. He did most of his work as a run blocker, but he's going to come in and he not only gives you knowledge of what this offense wants and, and has been helping the team and his fellow offensive linemen kind of get to know that and learn this wide zone scheme, but he's just really talented. He's a really good player. He might be an NFL player one day. We got a chance to catch up with Mike Nowitzki and we'll play you that audio here in a second. But first, let's hear from his head coach, Lance Leipold, talking about his center who came over with him from Buffalo, Mike Nowitzki. The thing about Mike is how steady he is just in, in, in his approach each and every day and his his positive energy that he always brings. And, you know, he, he just takes what he's doing and just put it in a different location. That's how he approaches it. He hasn't flinched one second about, you know, being in a different area, you know, blocking bigger guys on a daily basis. And I think uh, the other part is, uh, and I've heard this from some of the guys, Malik Clark being one of them, about his ability to teach and, and, and help the other guys out as quickly as he has, and, and, but also in a, a good, humble teammate way. That, that, that's what I love about the guy. Yeah, it just seems like the perfect teammate to come in to this situation and help you out in that specific way. So here was Mike Nowitzki. He caught up with the media after one of KU's camp practices. Uh, a lot of guys have talked about this summer, including Coach Leipold, about mm -hmm. how you've kind of been a teacher a little bit since you got here, just kind of like introducing guys to the offense and expectations. What's, what, was, what was that like for you to, to take on? Was it something like you felt like guys were receptive to? And how did, how did it all go? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've been doing a great job of grasping the playbook. You know, we started in uh, early summer and just kind of slowly chipped away at it. And uh, we've been getting a great, you know, hold of it. And now we're starting to execute it on the field, and it's been looking pretty good. How do you even, like, get something like that started? Because it seems like kind of a, a big project for, for what you're Yeah, into. Yeah, uh, you know, you just keep working day by day and just keep chipping away at it. And, you know, similar things are you know, kind of go hand in hand, so they kind of fit with one another. So it's just about getting the reps and being comfortable in those plays. Yeah, play the practices uh, were really good for us. We were able to get some drills down in certain scenarios that, you know, happen in certain plays. We were able to work them. So once we get out on the field, you know, we feel comfortable with them. So team practice, or player practices were really good for us. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what, what kind of got you here in the first place? I mean, obviously you're familiar with all these coaches. Mm -hmm. I mean, was it just that, that you like playing for these guys and you wanted to play for them here? What, what kind of brought you here? Uh, I mean, that was one of the one of the uh, big things of it, but also another big thing is I want to make a change here and I want to be a part of something real special. I think, you know, in the locker room, we got a great group of guys who want to get better, who, who want to win, who want to, you know, attack every day. And uh, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the change. And Mike, I think teammates said you told them your nickname is Dirk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, you always like that? Is that, is that yeah, a fun thing? Uh, yeah, that started freshman year of college. Uh, so we had two, uh, two linemen named Mike, and I was a freshman, and he was a senior, so... You know who gets the has to change their name, um, so it just kind of happened one day in uh, fall camp, my freshman year, and it stuck. And I guess it stuck all the way to Kansas too. So. <laughs> it's pretty easy to remember then, right? Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of any, not a lot of dirt, so it's good. Hey, Mike, you you 
know the coaches, what's expected. Mm -hmm. You've been here now going through. Just what's your thoughts, what you've seen from the offensive line? Yeah, I love the way that we're getting better every day. You know, we're getting, we're just stacking great days on top of great days. And, uh, you know, we just keep working the techniques every day, the same drills, just so that when we get on the field, we can execute all the plays that we have to and put our running backs in the best position to hit holes and our quarterbacks, giving them enough time with the technique that we're using in pass blocking, give them enough time to get the ball to the playmakers on the outside. Was it nice to get in some pads now? Absolutely. It was awesome. It was great. What's, what's different today, you know, full pads for the first time? What were you guys able to do that, you know, you can't do uh, I mean, when you're when you're inside with the linemen, it's you're really still using the same physicality and stuff. It's just more of huddling, you know, getting to the huddling around the ball, you know, when a running back breaks something and make sure there's no fumbles, policing the piles and stuff. So just that finishing the play, basically. We've heard some of the different players and coaches talk about kind of the process over results. So what do the coaches kind of uh, reach as far as that goes? Yeah, just daily improvement, one percent better each day. You know, coming to you know practice with your hard hat and your lunch bell, and you know, get ready to work. Uh, we do the you know, same drills every day, and it's just going to lead up to something just 1% better every day. Could you talk about the relationships that you may have built with the quarterback room so far? Yeah, they're all great guys. Uh, you know, we do a lot of stuff pre-practice with them to get on the same page and see how they're thinking pre-play so we can you know, not even have to worry about that when we're actually running team reps. Um, but all of them are great guys, and they're all great leaders. And is there anyone else in, in your group, the offensive line, that has impressed you so far through camp? Uh, there's a bunch of guys. We're all working together really well, um, and we're gelling really, uh, gelling well together. And uh, just every day, like I've been saying, you know, we're just getting better every day, trying to get that chemistry. That's a huge part of the offensive line, and uh, we're really coming together. What are these guys kind of learning about Coach Books that maybe you already knew? How how they kind of responded to? Good. Um, everything's been good. You know, different techniques, obviously with different coaches. Um, so that takes a little bit to break the old techniques and get new ones in. Uh, but every day we've been. You know, getting sharper with the techniques and executing it on the field, you know, going against defensive linemen versus just in our individual periods. Uh, so every day we've been getting better with the drills and the techniques and just kind of keep enforcing that, you know, the new techniques just so we can get confident with it. Hey, Mike, it's a technical question, but you've been running wide zone in Buffalo, mm -hmm. which you guys kind of know. What do you like about that as a Uh You know, it just it makes us very versatile because we, we can stretch the defense really well and then we can cut it back, you know, and we can run a lot of stuff off of that, you know, a lot of twists and tricks off of the of the play, and I think wide zone just really sets the whole offense up. What do you think is maybe the, is there a, a tricky part of that for guys who haven't played it before, just kind of learning it at first, and how do you kind of help them get past those hurdles? Yeah, I mean, the, the wide zone is, you know, pretty generic, but there's always different twists and stuff with each playbook and each offensive coordinator. Um, so just keep, uh, the way that we ran it, we run it, you know, we really, just really like to, you know, get out and run and, uh, you know, make the defense have to cover a lot more space than they want to. So that's that's one thing that we're really focusing on. All right, Mike, a.k.a. Dirk Nowitzki, love that with the nickname. I, I think you pencil him in and assume he's going to be the starter at center. And then I would probably say, you know, Colin Grunhard's a guy who transferred over, had some good experience at Notre Dame. If you're playing Nowitzki at center, then Grunhard is probably your guard while also being your backup center if something were to happen to Nowitzki. Other guys who... I think you look at and say, yeah, they're they're in line to either start or be right there on the potential starting unit. Earl Bostick is one of them. He is a fifth-year senior for the team, so he's one of those five seniors of the 22 players on the roster. And Earl Bostick is a very big dude. Here is Scott Fuchs giving his opinion on Bostick. He's been pretty impressive now. Uh, long guy, very strong in the weight room that that's impressive he's very quick very fast 
Um, he's pretty darn sound with his technique right now, uh, whether it's pass blocking or run blocking. There's things I remind him of all the time because he's it's new to him. The offense is new, but um, I think Earl's done a really fantastic job picking everything up that, that we've been doing, and I'm excited about what he can bring. Yeah, I said he's got a big body. That was underselling it. Six foot six for the fifth year senior, and he comes back and last season for Earl Bostic, he wound up with 547 snaps as an offensive tackle. And he was actually one of the better rated offensive linemen for KU on a team that, you know, you didn't necessarily have that being the case. Um, But if you just look at offensive grade of offensive linemen for KU, Chris Hughes was number one at 64.3. Earl Bostic was number two right behind him at 63.7. And now taking advantage of another year here, with KU, he was a really good run blocker, too, which makes you think he's going to have some good success in this zone blocking scheme. 72.2 is a run blocker, really good grade there. You got to see improvement in the pass blocking, as is the case, as previously talked about for KU in general. He wasn't necessarily the worst of the pass blockers, but still just a 45. So you got to see that improve, especially if he's going to play on the outside and be a tackle. Some potential others that we could see as starters on this unit. Um, Malik Clark is another fifth year senior again one of the five there and Clark played the most snaps of any offensive lineman for KU a season ago over 600 snaps but he had a really tough season he ended up with a 25 overall grade on pro football focus and I don't know how this is possible because he logged 357 snaps as a pass blocker he had a 0.0 pass blocking grade on pro football focus. And I don't say this to disparage it. I mean, it just has to get better. Like it's, it's just that simple. He played most of his snaps at left tackle, but then played a little at left guard. Whereas Bostic played on, on both sides of the line last year, left tackle and right tackle. I would assume Bostic's going to be used as tackle. So maybe by Malik Clark, possibly being a guy who you look at kicking inside, moving to one of those guard spots, maybe that helps him out a lot. And so I I would love to see a guy like Malik Clark who did have that rough season a year ago who comes back and takes advantage of this extra year really kind of break through and have a good season and have a season where, I mean, there is a lot of room to improve, but like just from the story of the kid to go through what he went through last year, which was a tough season and I'm sure a very tough year to deal with it as well, to having a breakout year this year would be really cool to see. But he's somebody who's experienced. He just hasn't seen necessarily the positive experience that you're looking for him to have this year. And then Chris Hughes, who another guy I mentioned, had the best grade of any offensive lineman for KU last season, but he didn't play as many snaps. 320 snaps. He played in six of the nine games, so he missed some action. And he played most of them at right guard. He played a little at center, but again, you're not really expecting that with Mike Nowitzki. And he was the most balanced of the blockers. 67 run block grade, 55 pass block grade. If you look among all the KU players in terms of offensive linemen, at pass blocking, he was the top pass blocker on the team. So he's a guy that you feel confident in. Again, a redshirt senior at right guard and or at left guard or somewhere on the offensive line. Now, maybe Colin Grunhard starts over him, but if you have Bostic, Clark, Grunhard, Nowitzki, that could possibly um, be five guys 
But also, I think the realistic guy you're going to see at right tackle is probably Bryce Cable do. And he's a redshirt freshman. He'll give you a little bit of an underclassman feel to this offensive line. And Cable do was another guy who we didn't necessarily see a ton of snaps for him because he played later on in the season, had 202 snaps. And he was, you know, fine at both, especially for a true freshman, but he was better than some of the other candidates at offensive line for KU. And then the last guy that I'm really interested in is Armage Adams-Reed, who, again, young freshman, hit or miss grades, but you're talking about a young freshman who did show some potential. Even guys like Adagio Lopetti should factor into the rotation a little bit. Michael Ford will factor in a transfer coming over as well. But honestly, when you look at this offensive line, Bostic, Malik Clark, Mike Nowitzki, Chris Hughes. I mean, those are redshirt seniors, or in the case of Nowitzki, redshirt juniors. So you have experience on this line. And yes, you will be playing some young guys like Cable Dew, a redshirt freshman, and Armaj Adams-Reed, who's a sophomore, and Michael Ford, who's an underclassman. But there is experience on this offensive line. And that is definitely a positive moving forward. Now, here is Scott Fuchs talking about what Chris Hughes or excuse me, not Chris Hughes, what uh, Bryce Cable do and Michael Ford could bring to the offensive line. I like both those guys a lot. Uh, I know Bryce had reps last year, maybe even played more than, than Mike did. Um, and Michael played enough, enough for us and had the, had the spring ball with us. So Michael has probably more of the uh, knowledge of the offense down. Uh, but I will tell you that I, I think we keep it simple enough. I think Bryce has done a fantastic job, too. I'm excited about both those guys. And I would freely say if, if both of those guys should be playing, then both those guys are going to play. Yeah, so interesting interesting kind of collection of players. And like a guy like Brandon McAnderson has been high on the fact that this unit can be a lot better this season. And the stats from last year show there is a long way to go. There's a big jump to be had at that position. There's no secret about that. You do have, on paper, some of the recipe of what you'd like, though. You have a transfer who comes in who was one of the best centers in the country. You have a transfer coming in from Notre Dame who's been kind of offensive line you and who's an experienced player on a winning team. Of the players who struggled last year, they were either really young and now have a year of experience under their belt, or they came back and now they are fourth or fifth year seniors at a position where experience and being older and being more mature and having another year of gaining more physicality on your belt, it matters a lot. So I don't know how much of a jump you can make. I don't know how much bringing in Scott Fuchs matters. I don't know how much the scheme impacts things, but there is a jump to be made and they will make some sort of a jump. The question is how far? And to me, if the offensive line can get to big 12 level, of play, I think you do realistically look at this team and say, maybe they can win three or four games this season. But if it's like it was last year, you're going to be lucky to win one. So there's a lot being asked of the offensive line, but I think there's enough in that room that it's acceptable to ask for those things and to ask for improvement and to expect that. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, second time we do You're Not That Guy, pal. This is RCST. About a quarter till five. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Brian Haney 
The voice of the Jayhawks is going to join us coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, and then we'll finish off, off our offensive lineman preview in the 5 o'clock hour as well. But it is a Friday. It is now time for another edition of... You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. First up, Disney robots. They're walking. They're talking. They have a version of Groot, the Marvel character, the tree, that is basically this this robot, and they're building these around the parks to have a Disney park. So now when you go, you're going to like actually be able to interact with these lifelike human robots of Disney characters, from Marvel characters to Star Wars to everything in between. Here's the issue. I I am very like anti-sentient robot, so I should probably come in with that bias. But just wait till like Robot Goofy beats up some park goer and starts to take over the world and Robot Darth Vader is actually slicing people's arms off. This is a terrible idea. What are we doing? Just continue to pay actors to do this. So Disney Robots. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Maybe that actually makes us as humans not that guy, pal, because we might get beat up by the robots. Uh, Batters facing Gavin Weir. Having a rough time. Gavin Weir is... I'm going to say it. I don't know Little League World Series history very well, but I, I feel very definitive in saying this statement. Gavin Weir is the greatest Little League World Series pitcher of all time. Got any issues with it? Too bad. 114 strikeouts for Gavin Weir in eight starts across the summer to lead his team to the Little League World Series, which quick math off the top of my head, that's what, like 14 strikeouts a game? And these games are six or seven innings, so there's either 18 or 21 outs. That's absolutely incredible. Obviously, you can tell I know very little about the Little League World Series. But what makes it even crazier, across those eight starts, not only does he have 114 strikeouts, Gavin Weir has allowed a grand whopping total of one hit in eight starts across the Little League World Series. He's the greatest Little League World Series pitcher of all time. So batters who are having to face off against Gavin Weir. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. The McIntosh High School football team. What more can I say about the McIntosh High School football team? Everybody knows the McIntosh High School football team. This is in Alabama. Phillip Rivers had his coaching debut for St. Michael Catholic High School. Philip Rivers, St. Michael Catholic High School. Got a nice victory. Season opener, 49-0, taking down McIntosh High School football. You don't mess with Philip Rivers. I could only imagine these like officials who are probably paid, I don't know, 25 bucks an hour, like 50 bucks for a game or, or 75 bucks or something, and they're just like doing this part time. Imagine walking up and down the sideline thinking, hey, I'm just doing a high school football game. And then Philip Rivers, eight time pro bowler, Philip Rivers is screaming at you about a call you messed up. And now you're fearful because. This guy knows football more than you do. He's probably right. I probably did mess up. That's got to be quite the experience, but McIntosh High School football could not handle the Phillip Rivers-led St. Michael Catholic High School, so McIntosh High School. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Manchester City, the soccer club, or football club, as some may call it, they've had a little trouble of late. Most recently, as of just yesterday, I mean, I was talking about this with Richie. It seemed like Cristiano Ronaldo 
one of the greatest soccer players of all time, was set to sign with Manchester City. That's what all the reports were saying. Everybody was reporting, oh, he's going to Manchester City. There was even an ESPN headline on the front page yesterday when the Champions League draw came out and Manchester City was in the same draw as PSG that, oh, Ronaldo and Messi could go head-to-head in Group A of the Champions League. Well, guess what? They didn't get Cristiano Ronaldo. He's actually going to their rival, Manchester United, his former team. He's going back with them. I don't understand the transfer market in soccer. I see this so often where you'll see like these reports from, I don't know, some media outlet in Europe that says this star player is signing with this team. This other team is paying 150 million euros to bring him over. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, it's like, wait, did that ever happen? They made it sound like it happened, but it just never happens. Then he goes somewhere else or he stays with this team. And Manchester City has been abused by this pretty bad. Cristiano Ronaldo, the latest one. It just happened a couple weeks ago with Harry Kane, or as the locals call him, Harry Kane. That that was something else that was supposed to be happening. They were supposed to be paying like 150 million euros for him to come over and join the team. And then this happened a year ago too. They were supposed to be getting Lionel Messi, and that fell through. Tough times for Manchester City. They just can't seem to actually sign a guy. By media reports, they would have the best roster ever. But unfortunately, I guess that's not living in the real world. Sorry, Man City. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. The alliance between the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 has come together this week. It's so glorious to see everybody working together. Everybody loves each other. Well, beyond the fact that the alliance is... I don't know. It's kind of a scam. Let's be honest. You know, a lot of talk. We're going to do this. But hey, what? There's no contracts. We didn't sign anything. Oh, we all have games scheduled through like 2032 anyway. So we're going to have a scheduling alliance, but it won't happen until we can actually fit it into our schedule. And saying all this BS about, oh, yeah, the Big 12, you know, we, we hope you do well. We don't know if you'll actually do well, but. We're rooting for you. We need you for the sustainability, but we're not going to invite you to this thing. We're not going to help you out in any way. We're rooting for for you from afar. Beyond all that, the Alliance is such a phony. And Exhibit A, again, mentioned the scheduling part of this. Literally a day. Actually, I don't even know if this was a full day, if this was a full 24 hours. After the Alliance was announced between the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12. LSU and USC agreed to a scheduled game in the 2024 season on Labor Day at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Now, from just like college football sense, you know, I'm sitting here going, oh, cool. I actually do want to see that game. But they just agreed that they're going to have this scheduling alliance and that it's going to be hard to find game times because everybody's scheduled these games so far in advance. And then within 24 hours, USC says, we don't care. We're scheduling the school from the SEC a school from the conference that we as this alliance are basically disbanding against. This is one of two things. It's either USC saying, hey, we don't really care about your alliance, and I'll be honest, we might kind of have a foot out the door of the Pac-12, or it is just further proof that the alliance is really stupid. Either way, sorry, the alliance. Actually, not sorry. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. All right, last one. 
This is our second week of doing this segment. We didn't do it last week. We had a short show on that Friday because of a Royals game. The first time we did it, I I got I guess mixed reviews would be the way to put it. Talked to some people because of what I'm about to say in a moment and said, was the segment that bad? Well, I'll discontinue the segment. I don't want it to be bad because I got a voicemail from a guy. And I actually looked this up. I was going to play the voicemail on air, but I looked it up. And it is actually illegal to play a voicemail on the radio without consent. So I don't want to do that, but I can tell you what the voicemail said. Quote, don't ever do that segment again, dog. That was horrible, bro. That was trash. Um, You're not that guy. I don't know what you're trying to do, bro. Don't do that again, man. That's bad, bro. So bad. But then he did have the courtesy to tell me later, so I appreciate that. Um, Voicemail guy. Sorry. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's You're Not That Guy, pal, on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Top of the 5 o'clock hour coming up next. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us. Five o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson here for another edition of RCST, a week away from the first KU football game here at right here. On KLWN, voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will be on the call. So, Brian making a call on a Friday night, and I believe that Boston College game from a couple years ago, I I think that was a Friday night as well. But when when you're calling football on a Friday night, is this reminiscent at all to your days back at KLWN for some Friday night lights? Yeah, I got to say, when when you add in the trip to Boston College to my days calling Bob Lisher's Free State Firebirds, my winning percentage on Friday nights is way better Mm. than my win percentage on Saturday. (laughs) So, yeah, let's bring it on, baby, and let's have so much fun on Friday the 3rd that we do it again Friday the 10th. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds pretty good. South Dakota, the first opponent. Have you had a chance to dig into the Coyotes yet and, and what type of challenges they present? for KU or is that something you're looking more at this next week? You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, when I get off the phone with you here in just a bit, I'm actually talking with their play-by-play guy to kind of begin all of that. In the meantime, everything's been focused on getting us ready and doing our Hawks and Highways tours across the state of Kansas for the last four weeks or so. And so I'm, I'm excited to, to break them down here in the next 20 minutes with him. But uh, it, it's definitely, you know, I think my, my big takeaway as we get set for this non-conference slate as a whole is that I, I think you've got challenge, but you also have opportunity. And, and I think Kansas could win any one of those three non-conference games. I think they could win two of those three non-conference games, but you got to get the first one. Um, and, and obviously we've seen Kansas stub its toe in home openers and season openers as favorites before. And uh, so you don't want to head in too bullish by any means. But I do think as I look at Coastal, who certainly has had our number and it's a road game, I get that. And Duke, obviously, I get the challenge that that presents. But I don't think any of these are beyond the stretch of the imagination if we truly have something special brewing here with Coach Leipold, as I believe we do. So I'm excited. And I think for, for those that look at you know, season win totals and expectation like that, I, I think it could be a really promising start to the season. 
where we win a game or two and then you steal one later in the year that you're not supposed to get, uh, which, which has me thinking that this will be a Kansas team that really surpasses a lot of expectations. But as far as the Coyotes go, uh, next week when I come on, we'll, we'll talk more after I have a chance to, uh, to break down Coach Nielsen's team with, with their play-by-play guy. But definitely uh, pumped up that we're, we're counting down the days now. I'm tired of talking about our Jayhawks with you. Yeah, and I guess good plug here. We had John Thayer on, the voice of the Coyotes, uh, I don't know, two weeks, month or so back, and doing some of the, the team previews, so you can check that out on our Best of RCST podcast. Um, as far as, like you said, just getting to go around and, and see these different KU fans and around the state or, or hear from different KU fans in the area, do you sense an extra bit of excitement for the Lance Leipold era here at KU? Absolutely. I think that um, he resonates and connects on a level that a lot of Kansas fans can relate with, and that's just hard work, toughness, grit, don't overpromise and underdeliver. In fact, he's been quoted, quoted as saying he strives to do just the opposite, underpromise, overdeliver. His mantra of get 1% better each and every day, that may sound cliche, but I think it's it's absolutely what this program needs, and it's something that a lot of the hardworking folks across the state of Kansas can absolutely connect with and identify with, as opposed to coming in and, and pointing to previous successes uh, at, at bigger schools and, and trying to take that same template and do it here. What I like about him is he's been a success everywhere he's built, I've been, but but has, has had a, a proven track record of, of building it up like we saw Buffalo or taking something that was off and rolling already and taking it to unprecedented heights like he did at Wisconsin-Whitewater when he won 100 games faster than any college football coach in the history of American college football so to me he's a guy that that has a resume that speaks for himself but he knows every situation is different what are the common denominators are just bringing your absolute a-game effort to practice each and every day uh you know trying to incrementally get better every time you hit the field and not do it with a whole bunch of of uh catchphrases and and flash and, and pop and sizzle but doing it with hard work and and you know he said this on his first talk talk and he was being self-deprecating when somebody asked him about what are your game day superstitions and he just said you know what I'm a pretty boring guy. There's not much that's that interesting about me on on game day. Once I put the players out on the field and they're in position getting stretched and warmed up, I go back in the locker room, I pull out the iPad, and I'm just cramming in like 20 more minutes of studying film. That's my tradition. That's my superstition. It's not that interesting. It doesn't make for a great soundbite, but that's me. And I think that story showed us that, that this guy is truly what you see is what you get, and he's going to try to outwork you. He's going to try to, to make sure that his team is so prepared that some of these stub your toe, shoot yourself in the foot moments we've seen far too often in recent seasons of you know penalties because we weren't organized or coordinated or taking timeouts you know before it's fourth down and, and long and we wind up punting anyway and we're burning some early half timeouts, stuff like that. 
I don't think you're going to see under Lance Leipold. I, I think it will be as highly organized and calculated as it could possibly be. And that's not to say there aren't going to be some kinks uh, that happen with any team early in the season. They're not going to be flawless in execution or avoiding penalty. That happens with everybody. But I think you know some of these scenarios that coaches can plan out and know what they want to do in key moments uh, you know, far in advance will be as premeditated and calculated as they could possibly be heading into game day because he really does have that kind of work ethic. I had people come up to me after his first Hawk Talk back in the spring and say, you know, he kind of reminds me of Bill Snyder. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> and I said, I'll tell you how you should feel about that. You should be stoked. Yeah. Because if you went up to a K-State basketball fan and said, your next hoops coach is going to remind you of Bill Self, how do you feel? Of course they take that. Any day of the week and twice on Sunday. And the more I'm around Coach Leipold, the more I see that comparison. I mean, he, he writes the handwritten notes to make people feel appreciated. He, he does all the little things meticulously in the way he organizes his coaches and his players, and his practices are more structured and organized than anything any of our fifth or sixth-year seniors have seen uh, to the point where Kyron Johnson, one of those fifth-year guys, was talking about, man, you know, th- these, these practices are tough and, and they're, they're you know somewhat difficult in terms of how structured and how uh, you know, much they press these guys. He's like, but we need it. And this is exactly what we needed. When, when they're taking water breaks, they're not blaring music and dancing and, and, and talking. Their positional coaches are in the huddle, coaching, teaching, getting their point across while these guys are hydrating where there's no wasted moment. There's no break in the action where something's not being learned or taught or, or having a chance to make that incremental progress that we talked about. And so it's for all those reasons that I think you're going to see a steady rise of Kansas. It might not be a splash right away, but I think you're going to notice the difference. Certainly we noticed the difference already in the job Coach Gildersleeve has done with the strength and conditioning of this team and, and all of the fat loss and muscle gain and vertical inches gained in, in their leaping ability uh, just from the, the late spring to mid-summer. I mean, we, we saw on average four pounds of fat loss and three pounds of muscle gain and went from zero players with a vertical north of 40 to five all of a sudden. And so we're, we're seeing that physically, but I think you're also going to see execution differentials. I think you're going to see players really come into their own in terms of consistency and performance. And that may not add up to, you know, a ton of wins right away, but it's going to add up to us being a more rounded, disciplined, uh, effective and, and execution in football team that, that goes out there and, and, and performs at the type of, of regular, consistent clip that fans have longed to see for a while instead of just seeing flashes of brilliance amidst a lot of, you know, head-scratching frustration the rest of the time. So that, to me, will be the impact of Lance Leipold and his staff, especially in the first month of Season 1. And then I think we, we really start to watch traction gain as we head into Year 2 uh, once he's had more time with these guys and more time getting his own guys in. But it's for all those reasons that I'm encouraged and excited and certainly uh, as eager as anyone to see who's going to be under center taking that first snap and what it's all going to look like with Coach K's offense. But uh, I know this, we got a stable of running backs that uh, runs about four deep. we got an improved offensive line, and we have three capable quarterbacks that I think all have the skill sets you'd want to implement what they're going to try to do, two of which in particular with the, the, the dual threat versatility that's really going to help in that regard. And So I think we're going to have some fun calling these games this fall. 
Yeah, I do too. We're talking with Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You'll be able to hear him on the call next Friday for KU in South Dakota. I've mentioned on the show that I think this is basically a free year for for Lance Leipold when you look at everything going on, taking over so late in the year to where, you know, you can't really judge based on what happens in terms of the win-loss record uh, with what you're trying to do here and turning around the program from a long-term perspective. But while that same thing can be true, I think there is so much to gain from just winning this first game against South Dakota in terms of just continuing to install the culture and the comment that Andy Kotelnicki made at KU Media Days about a week and a half ago saying that, you know, culture is easy to install when there's not games being played. And to to see your work turn into a loss in the first game of the season to South Dakota, I think would it wouldn't be a major setback that couldn't be overcome, but it would definitely make it harder in the short term to continue to infuse that culture and everything. So in my eyes, this game might be the most important of the season from that standpoint of just right off the bat, these guys have worked so hard in the offseason. You've undergone this this big coaching change and this attempt at a culture change. And to see a positive result and a positive win in week one against a team that you're going to be favored against, but you've lost these types of games before, I think would do huge in terms of just continuing to build that chemistry and culture. Absolutely. I think that's really well said. And uh, how many times have we seen Kansas stub its toe in the opener and then be forced to come back and win a game like Boston College or win a game like Georgia Tech because we lost to a team that we were supposed to be better than, supposed to be favored against. And, uh, you know, clearly South Dakota is going to come in and, and make this feel like the biggest game of their year. They want to get that major conference upset and, and you know, make the headlines nationally. But for Kansas to hold serve at home, to take that momentum out to Coastal or, or Duke or, you know, Baylor and, and, and have that kind of good vibe and, and immediate I think gratification and satisfaction for all the hard work they put in and start building some momentum, stringing one into two would be huge for this team. So it's a major opportunity, and uh, and I think that, that they'll be reminded of missed chances that aren't necessarily uh, involving many or most of them, but situations like this in the past where Kansas has been the, the brunt of the joke because they lost the home opener to the, the smaller division school. And um, they'll also be reminded of just how good the Coyotes actually are and, and how much they bring back and, and what a, a feat this is going to be, what a task at hand it's going to be, I should say. So I, I think there'll be excellent focus and motivation given the recent history and the opportunity at hand. And I think the, the fruits of those labors hope be on display Friday night and you can rock chalk one up and, and head on to week two and, and start getting back at these Chanticleers who, my goodness, have, have uh, really made this home, home, and home that we scheduled with them look like a bad, bad contract <laughs> as we stare down the barrel of 0-3 against a team that we just picked the wrong time to catch them in the midst of their meteoric rise to college football prominence. Yeah, who would have thought a team that was an FCS ball a handful of years ago and was coming off a losing season the first time they played KU would turn in to this, a team who's now preseason ranked in the top 25, or I imagine will be when the AP poll comes out. Uh, talking with Brian Haney here, so as far as from the KU standpoint, is there a specific player that you're really excited to see debut this season, whether it's because we haven't seen him before or he's in a new position or you just want to see the growth from last year to this year that you're super excited to see what he looks like come Friday? 
Well, I'll give you a few. Uh, certainly fired up about Devin Neal. Uh, fired up about the Lawrence High product to, to see what he brings, and he's had nothing but rave reviews from what I've heard and, and, and seen brief glimpses of in the preseason. I think a top of position that has a ton of depth, and he's been a, a guy that's been as consistent and steady as any in the preseason, and that's exciting, especially for local football fans. And then, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're curious to see, is it Jalen Daniels, is it Miles Kendrick, is it Jason Bean at quarterback, and, and you know, how much does, as I referred to, the dual threat capabilities of a couple of those guys give them an extra chance to win this job and to take it and literally run with it with some of the scheme that they're going to implement this offense uh, with this season. I, I think a dual threat guy with, with some of the stuff that, that Coach K is drawing up could absolutely pay big dividends. And so if that's a speedster like Bean who brings – you know, five rushing touchdowns, 350 rushing yards from last year at North Texas up here, or somebody like Jalen Daniels who can extend the play with his feet. But but as we talked about, and as Coach Kodalnik has talked about, you know, you, you certainly want to see the great play, but they're okay with taking the good play so long as you avoid the negative play. And, and that's, you know, throwing the ball to the other team or coughing it up or putting it on the ground. And so minimizing mistakes while executing what, is right in front of you, not trying to make the home run play every time. I think for Jalen, you know, if, if he could be a little more consistent um, and and not have, you know, from time to time, you know, the, the erratic passing that, that sometimes, you know, can end the drive or take you out of rhythm offensively, he's got all the tools to have the biggest upside of the three. But then there's Bean, who, who has flashed a lot of potential, uh, particularly with his athleticism, that, uh, you know, given the right opportunity, I, I could absolutely see him thriving within this offense and what they want to do. And then you have Miles Kendrick, who, who's got to be like the classic underdog story of perseverance and resilience, because here's a guy that didn't have any other D1 scholarship offers, certainly not at the major conference level, and, and has been overlooked and talked over his entire time he's been at Kansas. There's always been two other guys have been mentioning, and he just comes out. And, and keeps producing. And it's nothing that's sports center worthy or anything that flashy. But the bottom line is, if he's going to move the chains and minimize mistakes and be a consistent presence, I know his attitude and, and what he brought from a leadership standpoint uh, drew him praise from multiple coaches, including Coach Gildersleeve, and talking about off-season workouts. The dude just keeps showing up with his lunch pail every day. And after everything we talked about, Lance Leipold is about, a lot of those characteristics and attributes show up in Kendrick, too. So I'm as intrigued as anybody with seven days to go on what it's going to look like under center uh, and what it's going to look like offensively with whoever that quarterback is, run versus pass, and, and what they look to implement. I'm excited to see a potential you know, senior statement-type season made out of Kwame Lasseter, but there's a lot of other young receivers around him that I think have flashed some, some glimpses that make you pretty fired up on what we have in that receiver group and the tight end group, for that matter. I mean, our, our tight end group between – you know, it really, Fairchild and, and, uh, and Cardell are two guys that I've looked at the most this preseason. But that one runs three or four deep with pretty talented guys. And so we've got a lot of positions of intrigue with some names maybe you've heard of before, but they're about to you know approach bigger opportunity than ever before and therefore greater production than ever before. And then a, a few spots where there's 
completely brand new names and fresh faces that you'll learn about next Friday night for the first time, but are guys that are going to come in and, and compete to, to make differences right away for this Kansas team. That has me incre- intrigued and encouraged, too. I will say defensively, uh, to see what Kyron Johnson can do in his final year, now coming off the edge. We talked about his speed at the linebacking position for a long time now, but to see him line up as a defensive end and, and try to generate some pressure on the opposing passer. I think that's going to be intriguing to see what he can do. So you asked for one name and I gave you like seven and, and I didn't even talk about guys like Stephen McBride and others that have been uh, you know, quietly making some real strides this preseason. But I think that just speaks to the time of year we're in and, and the time within this program's development we're in where everybody's got a blank slate now with a new head coach and everybody's trying to stand out and, and stick and stay in, in their new spot on the depth chart. And I think you could look up and down every single position group and, and circle two or three guys that you're pretty fired up about. And those just happen to be a handful of mine. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, next Friday for some Friday Night Lights, KU South Dakota. Brian, if people still want to get some tickets but haven't already, promo code, what do you got for us so people can uh, save some money and still make it out there? Well, first off, the one name I left off, and as a play-by-play guy, you can identify with this. I mean, we're all hoping Magic Rector mm-hmm. has a huge career, right? Because how much fun will that be to say when Magic Rector is making big-time plays? He's a little tiny in terms of size, and so I don't expect him to you know, be jumping up and competing for 50-50 balls and, and making huge waves right away his first year. But when you ask for guys I'm excited to see, I hope, even though there's bigger names and, and bigger stature on on the list of the little 5'9 freshman out of Dallas. I hope for the sake of rolling off the tongue, Mr. Magic Rector is making some, some magic act highlights for us in the end zone. But anyways, back to Friday night, we do want to see you there. And I know as folks talk about you know, what's the future of Kansas football within the Big 12? What's the future of Kansas football in this conference realignment? The best thing we can do as Kansas fans, whether it's for the sake of, of just momentum within our own program or for the sake of optics to other leagues looking at Kansas and wondering just how viable are they in football, we got to fill the booth, man. we, we got to show up and have a 12th man and be excited. These kids and these coaches deserve your support. But if you're asking yourselves, what can I do in the midst of, of some uncertainty in the college sports landscape, best thing you can do is show up. So we want to give you a discount for doing that just because you're a loyal Rock Chalk Sports Talk listener with Dave Johnson and gang coming up on, what is this, year 19 of the show of Rock Chalk Sports Talk? I mean, this is actually, by, by next summer, it'd be 20 years completely, which is unreal to think about because we wow. started it in 2002. So for all you loyal RCST listeners, uh, log on to kuathletics.com backslash tickets. In the upper left column, you'll see the word tickets. Click on that, and it'll ask for a promo code. Your promo code is Derek Johnson is the man in all caps. <laughs> Just kidding. That's too many characters. I'll work say. on that one for next week. <laughs> uh, how about we shorten it and just say promo code home opener, home opener, all one word. A lot word. easier That's to remember. Code. Yeah. I mean, Derek Johnson is the man in all caps would be great. It's just, you know, they got to limit it to like 12 or less. So well, anyway, they might spell uh, Derek wrong. Yeah. They could.
it's, it's a tough one. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to do that. And uh, once you click that, the discount will already be applied uh, before you even pull up the ticket. So it's, it's super easy, but we'd appreciate that. And I appreciate you, my man. I'm going to get off and, and call our, our voice the Coyotes, and then we'll, uh, we'll break all down the key matchups next week when I come on. But appreciate everything you do to promote Kansas sports, and you're doing a hell of a job in your chairs. So keep it up, buddy. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. That's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk.